welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my mom, Wild Karen, and my dad, Mr. Crippled. Thank you, Jax. Good job, buddy. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Because he calls me Karen. And he calls me Mr. Cripple. Wow. So, there That's you good. have it. Mm-hmm. There's the kid. Yep. Who now has AirPods in and can't hear, so yeah. don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Don't call the popo on us or dcfs yeah but he wanted to do our intro so there you go that's jacks for you there you have it chance whining in the fucking background oh sign me out of fucking patreon so um we just got back from football yep it's like nine o'clock nine o'clock we've never done it this late ever so i'm just gonna get mark good and drunk Mm -hmm. um it's supposed to be a mini it's not going to be. I left a lot of like fluff out that I normally put in. And it's still a great case. I think you guys are, oh my God. are in for it today. I it's don't How did you even find it? Googled just just like high profile cases and yeah. then read a little bit of the like heading. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is fucking yeah, interesting. It's, it's, so then I read a, like one article on it. I'm like, okay, this is this is good. And it just, it got deeper and deeper and deeper. You yeah. Know? All right. Well, we I know we have two, at least two new Patreons. And I know they're Allison and Brittany. And that's because I saw them right before it fucking logged me out of this thing. So, <laughs> yeah. So Allison and Brittany, thank you. And there's another one, I think. Candace. There's a Candace, too. And thank you, Candace. You guys are awesome. There's Candace. Candace. Yeah. So, you guys are awesome. So. I got to do a shout out real quick. Oh, okay. So, our listener, Tanatson, she's been a listener for a while. Yeah. She wanted me to say poop shoot. So she's been, I mean, since the beginning, yep. right? Yeah, since the beginning. Because I think I fucked her name up. Mm-hmm. You have. <laughs> probably did. So, yeah, she's been waiting to hear poop shoot. So, there you go. One of my girls got the Rona. Uh oh. Yeah. Who got the Rona? I'm not going to say. Oh, okay. She doesn't like shout outs. Oh, okay. She knows who the fuck she is. So, what does she do? She starts making tables. Who the fuck makes tables in their spare time? Yeah. She does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Hope you get better, <clears throat> whoever you are. Yeah. <clears throat> she said she caught some of our luck. I <laughs> got the Rona for the second time. And I was Goddamn like, right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, no shit. Yeah. Fuck. Yep. So, mm. do you want to just dive right in to the story and your Jack? It's late, yeah. so let me take a sip and why don't you begin? Mm. This is my new favorite flavor, by the way. Oh, you just puffed. Oh, my God, it was good. It's my new favorite flavor. I swear to God, it was good. Oh, my God, I hate you. You love me. You're an ass. (laughs) Yes, but you still love me. Oh, my God. Oh, that was a big sip. Yeah, it was. Jesus. Burned my nose. Oh, I should have went. Okay, so... We, uh, and there's a connection in this one too that I didn't realize, which I feel like I'm doing that a lot lately and not realizing it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It, it is kind of crazy, yeah. Hmm. So, okay, so today we are doing the case of Michael 
Morton. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think it's... I don't think it was I, a national case. No, I don't think it was a national case, and I don't think any other podcasts really have done it. I could not find a podcast. So I'm kind of glad about that. That, yeah. that was another <clears throat> reason why I wanted to do this. Um, I actually got... So there were a couple articles on like his the History Channel and then Innocence Project, um, but most of... I should say almost. Ooh, spoiler alert! Yeah, Innocence Project. Well, I'd spoil it in the beginning, anyways. So, um, the vast majority of the information I got came from the book that he wrote. Oh, okay. So, because um, there's not a lot out there, there right. really isn't. Well, that's I, why this was supposed to be yeah. a mini. There's three articles, and two of them are the exact same article verbatim. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, it would have been a mini had I not found his book, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. After spending 24 years in prison, Michael Morton was released on October 4th of 2011. On December 19th, 2011, he was officially exonerated in the brutal 1986 murder of his wife, Christine. Mm. Williamson County, Texas, focused solely on Michael, going as far as ignoring witness statements and withholding evidence. DNA was finally tested, and not only did it clear Michael, it implicated another man in Christine's murder and another murder two years later. Jeez. Michael Morton was born August 12th, which is in a couple days, well, a week, sorry, uh, 1954, and spent his childhood in California. His family moved to Texas when Michael was 15, and he fucking hated it. Mm. He attended Kilgore High School which was a fraction of the size of his former high school, and he compared it to the cast of Happy Days. Huh. Uh, after graduating, Michael left Tiny Kilgore and moved to... Oh, I was going to look up how to say this. Just give it your best. Nacogdoches, Texas. Not even close. Our Texas fans can sorry. tell us how to yeah, say sorry. it. Uh, to attend Stephen F. Austin, Texas University. There he studied psychology. This is where he met Christine Kirkpatrick. He called her Chris. So if I call her Chris, I'm sorry, that would be why. <clears throat> Michael asked her to a party at his apartment, and he said that oh, she could spot bullshit from a mile away <laughs> and was super smart all around, not just book smart, but in general. So like you. Yeah, exactly. They, See, do I get props for that? You do, you do. Um, they immediately became inseparable. In 1976, that's when they started dating. And in 1979, they had a Catholic wedding, followed by Christine's dream honeymoon in Disney World. Mm. In 1983, their son Eric was born, and he was born with a hole in his heart, preventing him from getting the full amount of oxygen. Oh, wow. Uh, they were told by doctors to keep him alive until he was old enough and strong enough to survive the life-saving surgery that he would need. Every moment of their lives was now dominated by fear for Eric, his strict, strict medication schedule, and the struggle to keep him alive. If he would exert himself, he would turn blue. Really? Every time. Oh, my God. Every How fucking scary time. Can you even imagine? Be? Yeah. Oh, fuck that. So during this time, Michael and Christine had a house built in Austin, Texas, and she ruled the house. Mm. That's what's up. Sounds familiar. Uh, in June of 1986, Eric turned three. So they took him to Houston for his surgery. They sat in the waiting room terrified, but then were taken back to recovery and found a beautiful, beamingly pink child. Awesome. Who now could run and jump and play like any other kid his age. Oh, that's cool. They took him home two weeks later, and he started running and did not stop. Nice. So, 
Uh, as Austin grew, so did the city and county boundaries. They also shifted. Now, the South is known for their sheriffs and, you know, right. they don't take no bullshit. Right. That's kind of what it was. So, um, they ended up no longer being in Travis County, but moved into, like, Williamson County boundaries kind of took them over. Okay. Um, on August 12th of 1986, it was Michael's 32nd birthday. Mm-hmm. He went scuba diving, because that's what he liked to do, which is funny in Texas, but... Um, at the time, Michael was the manager of a grocery store that generously gave employees their birthdays off. Is your phone ringing? No. Oh. Christine was at work, um, and Eric was at the babysitter, so Michael had a rare day of playtime. Playtime. He spent the day at Travis Lake, then went home for a nap. Uh, him and Christine had plans to go to the city grill that night for dinner. The neighbors offered to babysit Eric so they could, you know, have some couple time, but they declined. They liked, he was healthy now. They could take him places. Yeah. He could go places. Yeah. So this dinner, they said, wasn't just about Michael's birthday, but it was also a celebration of a newfound peace because Eric was healthy. Michael said Christine looked happier than he had seen her in a long time. When they got home, Christine put Eric to bed and Michael watched the end of the presidential news conference. Uh, he was looking to get some afterwards for Ooh, his birthday. Hey-o. Little butt play. So the couple curled up on the floor with a blanket and wine. Mm-hmm. And he put an adult movie in the VCR. Ooh, you know what time it is. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, he gets upset with himself because he realized that Christine was fucking exhausted. She'd worked no. all day. She'd picked up Eric. And he had napped and was like, raring and ready to go. Yeah. Eric ends up waking up. Yeah. So Christine takes him back to bed, and he still tried to get her in the mood. That's right. But she fell asleep. Oh, come on. Which is, yeah. Chicks. Oh, my God. So Michael got pissed and left her on the floor and went to bed. Damn right. (laughs) Damn right. After midnight, she curled up in bed with him and apologized, saying, next time, babe, next time. Sorry I didn't play with your wiener. Right. Uh, Michael got up for work at 5 a.m., leaving at 5.30, which is very normal for him. However, he left a note for Christine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that this note would haunt him for the rest of his days. Is that... The, the dishwasher. Oh, I was like, what the Jesus fuck God. was that? I mean, you've only started it twice, so I guess you yeah. would not know what it sounds like. True. So he leaves... I did my husband duties yeah. today. Started the dishwasher. So he leaves this note, and he puts it in the bathroom where she's certain to see it. Yeah. It says, quote, Chris, <clears throat> I know you didn't mean to, but you made me feel really unwanted last night. After a good meal, we came home. You binged on the rest of the cookies. Then... <laughs> oh, my God. Is this... Oh, it fucking, gets worse. Then, this is relatable. But then This is us. <laughs> then with your nightgown around your waist, and while I was rubbing your hands and arms, you farted and fell asleep. <laughs> It's funny now. It's not funny. Oh, my God. Is <laughs> yeah. this you? He said, I'm not. Except it's fucking Oreos with peanut butter on I'm, it. I'm not mad or expecting a big production. I just wanted you to know how I feel without us getting into another fight about sex. Just think how you might have felt if you. Oh, my contacts are dry. We're left hanging on your birthday. I love you. Mm-hmm. So he put it in a place where she would for sure see it. Um, and he fully expected to get a phone call at work. Yeah. Like, listen, motherfucker. Yeah. Nothing. Didn't hear shit. So now he's like, Uh-oh. shit, maybe I really pissed her off. My contacts are dry and this is pink ink, by the way. So 
Um, Michael said the day was normal. He got off work, ran a couple of errands, and then headed to the babysitter to get Eric, which is what he normally did, around 2 o'clock. He knew something was wrong as soon as he got there. The babysitter gave him, excuse me, an odd look and said that not only uh, was Eric not there, but Christine had never called to say she wasn't bringing him. Mm. Michael started to panic and called his home from the babysitter's house. There's no way that she would just change plans and not tell him. She was very structured, very organized. Right. An unfamiliar male voice answered the phone. He identified himself as Sheriff Jim Boutwell, and Michael needed to get home immediately. Not good. He was running through scenarios in his head. Was there a fire? Was she sick? Where's Eric? What's going on? When he pulled up, he saw the house surrounded by police cars and yellow tape. The sheriff met him in the front yard. He asked about Eric. And the sheriff said that he was at one of the neighbors. And then he asked about Christine. Very flatly, the sheriff told him, Chris is dead. Oh, God. Couldn't even fucking imagine. The sheriff led Michael into a now unfamiliar home. Uh, he said it was he was being treated as if he was an unwanted guest. Yeah. Um, they were dusting the walls for prints. He heard somebody excitedly yell that they, quote, finally had gotten ice. It was all the cops. Michael then heard people in the bedroom. He asked what happened and was told it was possible that she had been shot. Michael was sat down and read his Miranda rights, then asked by Sergeant Don Woods to sign a consent to search the home and his car. Which, that's all proper procedure. Now, Michael found it odd, um, as they had already been there for a while, but he wanted to do anything to help. He signed the paper. Not a big deal. No, and for him to be read his Miranda rights at that time, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that because if he says fucking anything, anything, right? If he slips up, I mean, we know that now. Yeah, you know, but for it's people just, that are like, wait, why? Yeah, because you look at the spouse first, and always get a fucking attorney, whether yeah. you're guilty or innocent or black, blue, fucking yellow or brown. Get a fucking attorney. Yeah. Now, he was criticized later for his reaction. Um, And it's people don't know how they're going to react in a situation like that. Everyone's different. Right. And you can't expect a certain reaction out of somebody. He said inside he absolutely crumbled, obviously. But he's a man in the 80s. You don't fucking cry. Right. Come on. So, uh, ooh. The officers, the officer, the, the, oh, really? Yeah. The officer started with routine questions then started asking about their marriage and the note. He said that they had a normal marriage. They would argue, but that was, you know. She farts. She farts. She farts a lot. The sheriff and the sergeant were playing good cop, bad cop. Um, The sheriff. Oh, oh, so this is weird. So, um, so the sheriff is like, like. 10 gallon cowboy hat like the fucking oh yeah you know the the spurs and the whole kit and poodle so in he was known through texas he was a reserve deputy in august of 1966 when the um uh shooting at the college by charles whitman oh yeah from the tower was happening yeah this motherfucker flew his private plane into the campus and was shooting at him from the air Really? To distract him so they could take him down. No shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Wow. Also, in 1983, and he was still kind of basking in this glory, he made national headlines for getting the confessions of Henry Lee Lucas, which is what I told you about earlier. Yeah. He had confessed to 360 murders. 
Wow. It wouldn't come out until the late 1990s that Lucas recanted the entire bit of confession, and he only gave them in exchange for cheeseburgers, milkshakes, and cigarettes. (laughs) Fail. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Wood took Michael out of the back door to go see Eric. He said, we don't want to take you through the front door because all the cameras. When in reality, they were removing Christine's body through the front door in front of all the cameras. Yeah. So when he finally got to Eric, Eric was disheveled and crying. Christine's dad, Jack, arrived um, and was kind of short in distance, but seemed normal, you know, for him. They stayed in the house that night because he, he didn't know what else to fucking do. He didn't, do you stay? Do you go? Like, he's yeah. got this three-year-old who just lost his mom. You know, he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Fuck, I wouldn't know. So he eventually finds himself walking to the bedroom after he gets Eric to sleep. Yeah. There is just blood and brains and flesh and clothes and shit everywhere. Wow. Um, <clears throat> he walked around the house all night. He kept going into the bedroom and coming out. Um, there was blood on the ceiling, on the walls, on their wedding picture, on the oh, book she geez. was reading. Um, the next morning, they st- he started making calls and he knew he had to start planning a funeral, but didn't know where to start. So both families started to arrive, his family and Christine's family. He told the police that he did have a weapon. He had a forty-five caliber gun that was missing. Um, Christine's brother, John, showed up with his wife and blessed this man because he started to retrace the killer's steps. Okay. So he goes in the room and he's like, okay, well, he would have had to hit her this way to get blood here. And then he walked like backwards through the house thinking, okay, well, he would have had to go this way through the unlocked sliding glass door. And then they had like a little like like a small strip of like woodsy area yeah and he's like okay he probably walked through here and there was a house that was under construction and he's like he probably went in here so they go in the house this house that's under construction and they find a blue bandana with what looks like brown stains that they assume is blood yeah so they preserve it he picks it up he walks it back he puts it in a baggie nobody fucking touches it yeah he finds a napkin in the same condition That's the same thing. They call the police. The police come get it. Never hear about it again. It's gone. So. Just gone. uh, I mean, they don't, they don't hear about it. So. Awesome. um, Christine was to be buried in Houston where her family was. I don't know if the dude should have collected it himself. I think, you know what though? We'll come to find out. Thank fucking God he did. Thank God he did. Okay. So, at this point, Christine's family um, had really just shut Michael off. Yeah. The sheriff had gotten to him. The sheriff made it seem that he did this. So, yeah. they, this would be the last event they had as a family. So, Michael asked the funeral director if he could see her. And the funeral director was taken aback, didn't really know what to say. But he eventually brought him in to see her. Um, you... You can only prepare yourself so much. And yeah. when there's so much damage done, yeah. they can only fix it so much. Yeah. Her head was very obviously misshapen, where she was beaten. Ugh, um, he ran out of the funeral home, thinking to himself that he was going to drive to the gun shop where he had previously bought a weapon, and he was going to get a shotgun, and he was going to go find this fucking guy who killed her, and he was going to kill him. Yeah. 
And then driving around, he realized he had to go back to his kid. Yeah. So they're at the burial, and Eric asks, where's mommy? So he tells Eric that she's sleeping under the flowers. Yeah. Uh, the funeral was held at St. Christopher Catholic Church. This, like I said, was their last event as a family. And five weeks later, he was arrested for her murder. In the meantime, he had to go back to work. Um, he had to make money. Christine yeah. actually was the, she made more money than he did. So they really took a financial What did hit. she do? I don't know. Okay. To be honest with you. You learn later on that she, she worked at one place. She worked in an office, and then she left for a smaller office where she wouldn't have to see anybody after they ended up having a stillborn. Oh, so okay. um, it doesn't say really what she did after that. Um, so his mom came in state for several weeks. Thank mm. God. You know, mamas. Now, Sergeant Wood decided that he was going to attend the neighborhood watch meetings on his block. And he spoke of all of his suspicious thoughts about Michael and then decided to have them take a vote on whether or not they thought Michael was guilty. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Hood. Yeah. What are you doing? So he immediately got attorneys because he's being questioned, you know, repeatedly by these cops. And he's like, I I didn't do it. You know, he didn't think he needed a lawyer. And then finally he's like, if I take it, a polygraph. Yeah. Will you leave me alone? And these guys started jumping for joy. So they set up this polygraph and his friends are behind him and they drive him. And the sheriff ends up delaying the polygraph by like three hours. So finally, Michael gets pissed and he's like, nope, not fucking doing it. No, not doing it. And walked out. One of his buddies was like, listen, here's my friend. He's the defense attorney. Call him. So the defense attorneys were like, done. You're not talking to them anymore. Yeah. Now, it would come out later that he did take two independent polygraph examinations, mm-hmm. one from the prosecution, one from the defense, and he passed both of them. Wow. You know how I feel about polygraphs. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's They're there. As reliable as shit. Right. So, um, the state had nothing. They, they literally had fucking nothing. Yeah. So... He thinks they're weeks in, you know, he tells his mom, go home. We got to get, we got to get back to normal. So his mom left and made the five hour drive. And that night the sheriff and Sergeant Woods knocked on his door and arrested him. Wow. His mom got home, picked up his dad and literally fucking turned around and Mm. came back. Now, Eric is three. He has no fucking idea what's going on. Yeah. So he's clinging to Michael and the sheriff said that they arranged for neighbors to babysit. So he basically gets ripped away from his dad. Yeah. They take him to jail and he gets a five hundred or $250,000 bond. Excuse me. Um, his parents can't pay that. No. But his dad brought him a curtain of cigarettes. Hey, whatever helps. Do what you can with these yeah. in jail. He didn't smoke, obviously. Uh, his bond was reduced at the hearing and his parents were able to pay $2,500 and get him out a week after being in county. Yeah. He said that this just a week installed a perpetual and an instinctual fight or flight feeling in him that never went away. He was being described as a sheriff as a sex crazed, selfish monster with uh, no redeeming what? qualities. Yeah. Uh, and said that he had killed Christine for refusing sex. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was ostracized by the neighbors, obviously. Um, And in the weeks and months before the trial, everything looked suspicious. Her flowers died and he cleaned out her flowers and like neighbors were fucking shaking their fists at him. Like, 
you know. Oh, yeah. God. So this poor fucking guy. So he gets fired from his job. So now what's he supposed to do? The union decides that they're going to back him, and they tell his boss, you can't fucking do that until he goes to trial. Yeah. He wasn't even in the union. And really? They, and they backed him. Yeah. Good for them. So he worked. Um, but there was one guy that came in and went up to him and was like, hey, I hear that guy that, that beat his wife. I, I, I heard he works here. And Michael's like, you want to go meet him? So we walked the guy to a fucking mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Said, you're looking at him. Love it. Yeah. Love so, um, it, him going back to work kind of gave him some semblance of a routine. It helped him. It helped Eric. Um, he was told by his attorney that an innocent man like him is the worst kind of defendant. <laughs> because you, you, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. You know nothing. You can't give them anything. There's nothing. They don't. You didn't do it. That's all they have, pretty yeah. much. So Right. So they come to find out the arrest was done when Ken Anderson, who is the new district attorney, was out of town. Huh. He uh, hadn't made up his mind yet if he wanted to press charges. So the sheriff took it upon himself to go arrest Michael what? when he was gone. Yeah. How in the hell does that happen? Well, the district attorney came back and was like, well, you know, I wasn't quite sure, but he went ahead and did it. And like nobody wanted to piss the sheriff off. Oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. So... His attorneys put him through witness training, mock interviews, cross-examinations, um, the whole kit and caboodle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the motives, they said, was life insurance, but obviously he didn't get any fucking life insurance because yeah. once you get arrested for murder, you don't really, you know, they kind of frown upon that. Right. Um, he said that the one thing he noticed was that nothing in court had to be reasonable. It just had to be heard. So... They, his attorneys told him, only answer the question being asked. Give short, short responses, you know. Um, so one day he's with Eric in the bathroom and he's cleaning the shower. And out of nowhere, Eric says, quote, Daddy, who was the man in the shower with his clothes, Ooh. with his clothes on? The man with the blue shirt and the purple shirt. What the fuck? He's three. Mind blown. So Michael shit himself. And his first thought was, my kid watched his mother being fucking beat. Mm -hmm. So the first thing he did was he found a therapist for his son. And then he told his attorneys. Mm -hmm. And his attorneys are like, well, obviously we're going to bring it up. But they could see it as hearsay. But let's bring it up anyways. Yeah. So the magnitude of the statement just had Michael, just like you said, blown away. Um Eric had seen the killer, and he had seen him in the shower washing his mother's blood off of his clothes. So the only thing Michael could think was... I mean, why wasn't this kid given a forensic interview? They didn't, babe. It gets so much worse. It gets so bad. So he he was afraid that Eric had gone to find Mommy and looked in the shower and saw the monster instead. Yeah. So, and then he starts questioning, well, why didn't they hurt Eric? The guy clearly saw him. He knew he saw him. Why didn't he hurt Eric? Yeah. So then it was, I have to protect him. What if this guy fucking comes back and tries to get the kit? So uh, pre-trial hearings gave uh, introduction to the courtroom formality and the ceremony of it all. And it just was not something that he was used to. Mm -hmm. It took him by surprise with, you know, everything. It was also the first time he had seen Ken Anderson in person. 
there were constant arguments between the attorneys about prosecution turning over uh, required information. Anderson constant, constantly was trying to get out of obligations to give them paperwork because obviously you have to give over all of discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, Anderson made them fucking fight for it, tooth and nail. Oh. They wanted standard things, so autopsy report, the detective's notes, witness interviews. They had to fight for, for everything. Why? It, it's baby. What it's, the fuck? It gets so fucking bad. So his trial started in February of 1987. And it lasted nine days. Uh, It was presided over by Judge William Lott, who was almost entirely deaf, and it became a concern of the attorneys as to whether or not he was actually hearing everything that was happening. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, So they start start jury selection, and a woman in the first group of of jurors was the fucking DA's secretary. Oh, come on. Seriously? So finally, by the third group... um, His attorneys were like, okay, who has any fucking ties to the sheriff's department, the DA's office? And like 90% of the people raised their hand. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So the first person called was Elizabeth Gee. She was the neighbor who actually found Christine. Uh, She saw Eric sitting on the steps outside and was kind of peeking at her from around the car. So she went over, she grabbed him and noticed that he needed to be changed. So she took him into the house. She changed him. She put him down. Um... She went looking for Christine now. Can't find her. So she went in. She said the bed looked weird. It was tightly pulled all the way up and tucked in, which is not how Christine would make the bed. And there were multiple baskets and a suitcase where the pillows should be. So she started feeling around and felt what she thought was ankles and feet and then felt for a pulse and didn't feel any. She ran from the house, obviously, and called 911. The ME um, originally stated that the time of death was approximately... Uh, six o'clock in the morning, which would have been a half an hour after Michael left. When they got to trial, he had changed it to approximately one fifteen in the morning, and he based it off of her stomach contents. However, Michael's attorneys were able to prove that his method of determining time of death was not scientific, and it was, I think, what he called in the book hogwash. Yes. So Sheriff Botwell said he was the lead investigator, which he was not. Sergeant Woods was the lead investigator. However, by saying that the sheriff was, this kept Sergeant Woods' notes out of testimony. Now this, I don't fucking understand. I don't even know why this was asked. The judge ruled that parts of the adult movie that he had put in the VCR that night could be shown in court. What? Why? What does it matter? Why? Michael's like, I I literally felt like I was standing there with my fucking dick in my hands. Like, everybody's looking at me like I'm a monster. It doesn't matter if he's watching Big Booty Judy or what. What does it fucking matter? It doesn't. You just showed porn in a courtroom in the 80s. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. It gets worse. It gets worse. Hello, I have a delivery for you. Right after that, Michael was called to the stand. Um... He, at this point, had compartmentalized. I said it. Good job. All of his feelings, but being on the stand, he said it felt like a tsunami just hit him. Uh, He tried to heed his attorney's advice and answer only the questions asked, but in all honesty, he was pissed off, and the Mm -hmm. prosecutor was being a dick, so he didn't always do that. (laughs) Um, One of the things that Anderson said was that Michael was jealous of Christine's higher income, to which he said, "There's, there's no way. Like, I was proud of her. She was doing great. Yeah. Um, 
Anderson then said that Michael beat her repeatedly in a rage and masturbated himself with her dead hand. Oh, stop. Are you kidding me? Stop. How is that fucking allowed? What? That's crazy. Like, I know you're going for fucking shock value, but come on. So the jury went into deliberations before lunch, and they were out for two hours. He was found guilty. Oh, my God. So Christine's mom, after testifying, had sat behind him. Yeah. So he turned around to her and said, I did not do this. I did not do this. Yeah. And then collapsed as he was being handcuffed. His parents were absolutely devastated, obviously. Her family said nothing. Um, they never talked to Michael about the murder or anything related the to prosecution her. prosecution had nothing. Nothing. Literally nothing. What we come to find out, what they did have, <laughs> would have shown his innocence. Right. Mm-hmm. So they had nothing. Yeah. So he would write journals, uh, and on March 4th of 2006, he wrote, quote, The one overriding emotion I experience these days is simple fatigue. I am tired and just want to go home. What a long, strange trip it's been. God, please get me out of here. Oh, that's very messed up. That's a blank page. Messed up. Sorry. So. Failed. Just prior to his conviction, the county jail had been inspected and they had no hot water. So they were told to turn the hot water on, which they did. Um, But then they turned the cold water off. Oh, my God. Uh, Christine's family started a custody fight for Eric long before his conviction. They retained attorney uh, Ed Walsh, who was the former district attorney. And the judge who had convicted him was the judge who heard the, the custody hearing. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. He missed the hearing because he was on his way to the penitentiary. Because that wasn't planned at all, right? Um, They gave custody to Christine's sister, I think it's Mary Lee, who was single, didn't have a fucking job, lived in a one-bedroom apartment when his parents wanted him. Yeah. Even her parents wanted him. Why did he go to the the sister? Oh, great job. So he was allowed to give interviews, but the sheriff had to be sitting behind him. He used this as an opportunity to speak of evidence that was not heard in court, um, him passing the two polygraphs, Mm -hmm. and that Eric had seen the murderer. Mm -hmm. And he had told not only his therapist, but his grandmother. Oh, wow. His mom. Now, we come to find out later, he also told her mom. Really? So, um, it, it didn't help him at all. They really just used it to fit their agenda and said that he was using his kid for sympathy. So he was bounced around uh, for, from several different facilities in Texas, uh, maximum security facilities. The first one he went to was Huntsville, which was known for its uh, death chamber. Yeah. That's where people were executed. Um, he, he realized that his survival hinged on his ability to blend in. He yeah. just, you know. So he fully believed at this point he wouldn't be in there long which lasted forever, and decided to learn something new and became what he called a, quote, legal eagle, which are the people who spend time in the legal library. Yeah. Um, He he wrote many well-intentioned and carefully worded uh, motions, which don't get hurt. What is the dog chewing on? Nothing. Oh, stop. His foot. So these motions don't get hurt at all. Yeah. He also doesn't see Eric for a year. 
It was said in the custody hearing that the sister had to bring him uh, every six months for a visit. Mm. So the first time after he saw Eric, um, in a year and a half, it was supposed to be a contact visit. Mm. And the jailers, officer, what do you call them? Officers. Corrections. Sorry, sorry Brad. Um, they made it a, a non-contact. So he's trying to talk to his four-year-old behind a fucking plate glass wall. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning of the end. He ended up getting a job um, <clears throat> working in the records department. Mm -hmm. Him and uh, a few other people who had some clerical abilities were also in that. He also became friends with a cop who was in there because he was convicted of beating his wife. Really? Hit the cop friend was released in 1997 after it was revealed that prosecutors hid exculpatory evidence. Get the fuck mm -hmm. out. And his other friend was a fireman who became an arsonist. Because that's what we do. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he decided he was going to go back to school. They offered college courses through Sam Houston State University. You could take psychology or sociology. So he majored in psychology. In December of 1988, the district appellate court rejected all pleas for relief. And in September of 1989, the Court of Criminal Appeals uh, really just gave the final, like, fuck you. We're yeah. not doing this anymore. He tried fighting with the federal courts. That didn't help. So he did find out that there is a group of attorneys that the state actually pays to help inmates with their court cases if they need something like yeah. pro bono, stuff like that. Yeah. But they don't tell the inmates this. It's kind of something that the inmates have to like find, find out on their out. own. Yeah. So right. um, they end up, he, he gets this attorney and the attorney's like, listen, your shit's not going to go through. They see shit written by a prisoner and they're like, and push it off. Yeah. So they're starting to learn about DNA now. So he asked this attorney to help file for testing for DNA because the technology was allowing forensic identification based on blood, semen, and hair. Yeah. So in August of 1991, so we're four years down, three years down, Yeah. the court finally granted the motion, uh, thanks to the attorney, and a, uh, a bench warrant was issued for him to go back to Williamson County to give his DNA. Right. They picked up a chick on the way who he said uh, was sick, like she was drunk, and they had tacos. <laughs> he, was, he was very excited about the tacos. Yeah, right? So he gave his blood, but then waited in Williamson County for weeks before he went back. Uh, later on, Eric is now 15 and writes him a letter saying that he doesn't want to see him anymore. Oh, God. The twice yearly visits um, to someone he barely knew did nothing for him. So, during the OJ trial of 1994, he sees Barry Sheck um, on TV explaining DNA. Do you remember him in the trial? Yeah, do you, I do. Did you know that he's the one who founded the Innocence Project? No. I did not know that either. Did he really? He founded the Innocence Project. I did not know that. I didn't either. So, and it turns out that one of his attorneys was actually friends with him. So, we contacted him. You know, and obviously mm. it's it's a new thing there, you know, and the Innocence Project, it's there's stipulations to it of who they'll what cases they'll take, what cases they yeah. don't take. Yeah. But this in the infancy of it, you know, was yeah. different. So. Um, uh, another inmate ended up getting freed shortly after that um, because they found out police had vital evidence. So 23 years after leaving high school, he finally got his college degree in psychology. 
After that, he decided that he wanted to go to graduate school, but the only facility that was offered in was a facility called Ramsey One, which was a mile, 100 miles away from where he was. Also, this facility required hard labor. They owned a farm, and I mean, you would do hard labor yeah. like it was in the old days. He met with Eric one last time, uh, telling him, just before I go, come see me. Yeah. Eric put his head down the whole time, didn't say shit to him, didn't know what to say to him. So he left the facility he was at on Halloween day of 1999 and went over to the facility, Ramsey. He did hard labor for a while, um, which he had kind of tried to prepare himself for, but said it was harder than he'd ever imagined. He ended up moving from there to the commissary. And in July of 2002, he got a call from the Innocence Project. They were filing an inclusive writ uh, in the next couple of weeks. And writ is W-R-I-T. Yeah. Like a motion, I guess. Mm. So in spring of 2003, Eric was graduating high school and he got the graduation announcement and found out that Eric had changed his name. Oh, He had been adopted by Christine's sister and her new husband. Wow. Yeah. Um. He then was moved to a facility called the Michael Unit, which was closer to his parents, so it helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Innocence Project was finally making progress. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He had a New York team, and he also had a Houston attorney who was working for him pro bono. They were asking for permission to test all the autopsy swabs, the fingernail scrapings, tiny hairs that were found in her hand, the blue bandana, yeah, um, and the napkin. At this point, he was now working in the prison slaughterhouse, some of the testing came back and proved um, that he had slept in his bed, essentially. Yeah. But it also proved that he did not use her dead hand to masturbate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more testing would determine whether or not she had been sexually assaulted, which he said really w- would be like th- that would have been the icing on the cake. Like he mm. just wanted to know that she wasn't. Um, the attorneys reached out to the new district attorney, John Bradley. Can't. Ken Anderson, excuse me, was now a state district attorney, um, but Bradley was kind of cut from the same cloth. He had worked under Anderson for years and really had the same opinions. Uh, Michael's attorneys asked for a meeting to explain their case for DNA uh, testing and fingerprint analysis and offered to pay for every penny, and the DA flat out refused. Bradley made it clear that there would be no support from his office and that they would need a court order for any testing they wanted and he would not make it easy for them. Motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. In February of 05, he read a rough draft of the legal team's work and said it was just a revelation to him. It was a painstakingly laid out legal reasoning to move forward. The Innocence Project had also found that there had been an unsolved murder uh, that happened approximately six years earlier, a couple blocks away, that had some similarities. On election day of 1980, Mildred McKinney was found by her daughter and her son-in-law beaten to death in her home. And uh, the perpetrator had gotten through the sliding glass door that was unlocked, same as Christine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were furniture and household items stacked on top of her, same as Christine. Mm. That case remains unsolved. Um, They thought it to be Henry Lee Lucas or his counterpart, Otis Toole. Uh, Otis Toole ended up confessing to the murder for jailhouse privileges, but just like his partner, he ended up recanting. His attorneys wanted to test the evidence from that case to compare it to Christina's to Christine's case because there were so many similarities. Uh, Bradley and Williamson County fought them for upwards of eight months. Wow. 
Their best case, best case against testing was irrational and unfair and had complete disregard for the truth. Bradley said they couldn't do DNA testing now because they had not proven that it wasn't Michael's fault that DNA testing hadn't been done years ago. What? I'm sorry. They didn't do DNA in 1987. Yeah. Um, All right, Dick. Oh, it gets better. The next argument was it couldn't be done now because it should have been done sooner. It couldn't be done now because Sheriff Botwell had died. And it couldn't be done now because it wouldn't make a difference anyways. Wow. So, and Mind then blown. the bandana. They wanted the bandana tested. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, Michael obviously took that off of somebody else and wore it while he was beating Christine. Or he found it after the murder, walked home, dipped it in Christine's blood... And then took it back to the house under construction. Oh, yeah. Or Christine found the bandana and had hurt herself prior to the murder working in the yard and then just threw it over the fence. And it blew into the house. Oh, my God. Where are they coming up These with were this actual shit? fucking arguments. That's... Yeah. Dude, stop. So the medical examiner, Roberto Bernardo, was under intense scrutiny. Um... They, his attorneys had a nationally recognized pathologist review the case and found serious flaws in his methods, reasoning, conclusions, and testimony. Other cases were also brought up, including a case that he had deemed suicide when a man had been stabbed in the back. Which there's another case that we're going to do. This woman was stabbed. How the fuck oh. do you stab yourself in the back? There's a case this woman was stabbed 23 times and they deemed it suicide. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's so bad. That's recent. It's like 2018. That is so bad. So, Dude, where do you come up with these people? Babe. Like, do you go to a fucking police academy? Like, do you go to school? Like, this chick legitimately, and they said, they they have medical examiners to say that the second stab was probably the one that severed her spinal cord. No, she killed herself. Okay. Dude. So he knew it was going to take a while, but he didn't know how long things would take. Uh, after a year, they still didn't have a ruling on any of the swabs. Um, years later, in August of 06, they did get the test results back from the swabs uh, of Christine's body, and there was nothing on them, mm-hmm. which means there's no DNA left to test. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, I think I skipped a part. I'm sorry. Oops. They also wanted to... Um, they wanted the the McKinney case, that evidence tested, and the bandana, and yeah. they ruled, no, we're not going to do it. He finally meets John Raley, who is his Houston attorney, um, and John Raley said that after meeting him, he truly believed in his innocence. Not long after, Michael was turned down for parole and wouldn't be eligible again for three years. Mm. And I'm sorry, the swabs came back in October of 07. Okay. That proved that there was no evidence of sexual assault, but then there was nothing further to test. Yeah. yeah. Michael said that while it was bad news, it also gave him some peace that knowing that even in death, she was not violated. Yeah. So the lawyers continued. I get it. Yeah. I get it. The lawyers continued to push for the testing of the bandana in the McKinney case. Uh, They also told him that in order to get parole, he would have to express remorse for the murder. He told John Raleigh, his attorney, that he would not lie to get out. Mm-hmm. And John Raleigh said, quote, as long as I'm breathing air, I'm trying to get you out. Mm-hmm. One of the people on his team was Nina Morrison. 
He said that she was part cheerleader, part little sister, and a brilliant legal tactician. After five years, she had gotten them uh, approved to get the bandana tested. Wow. They still would not test the evidence from the McKinney case, though. So, but the bandana that his brother-in-law preserved. Which is crazy, because I would have thought, you know, don't touch it, fucking call the police. He grabbed it by, like, a corner. Yeah, but still, Uh it's, don't touch it, Mm -hmm. have the police come there, collect it, you know. They gave it to the police, and the police did nothing with it, obviously. Yeah, which Because it wasn't wasn't brought up in trial. It wasn't brought up again until they brought it up. That blows my mind. So, at this point now, he is... um, Stop looking at your watch. Sorry, the girls are texting me. Uh, He's 55 years old. Eric is 26 and married. He was three when he went in. Six weeks before his 57th birthday, uh, John Raleigh and Nina Morrison called him and told him that they had found DNA on the bandana. Get the fuck out of here. They found Christine's blood, and in Christine's blood was DNA found in skin cells and sweat on the bandana. Oh, my God. And that while they didn't have a name yet, they would. On his 57th birthday, they called him and told him, we found him. Oh, my God. We found him. He's in California. His name was Mark Allen Norwood. And they found that not only had he killed Christine, but on January 13th of 1988, he had killed Deborah Masters Baker. Um, She was uh, a young mother who was the child of a, or excuse me, the mother of a three-year-old child. Mm -hmm. They both had long brown hair. They were both killed on the 13th of the month. And it sickened Michael, he said, to know that, you know, not only was he in jail for this, but if they would have done their due diligence. The other murder would never have happened. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Deborah's uh, daughter ends up becoming good friends with Michael. And she sues. Good. She sued. She's like, fuck you. Like, she'd still be alive. So, oh, I, I came to the end of my paperwork. Whoops. So on um, October 1st of 2011, mm-hmm. uh, Bradley called and said, we'd like to offer you a deal. Mm-hmm. We're going to let you go tomorrow, but you have to sign paperwork that you're not going to contact your in-laws. You're not going to contact contact your son. You're going to sign away all rights to compensation. Fuck yeah. you. You're not going to tell anybody that we fucked up. And yeah, Michael said... Yeah, it's not. No, no, it's not going to fucking happen. There's no fucking way. So his attorneys called Bradley and Bradley caved and was like, all right, fine, we'll let you out. So he ends up getting released on October on October 4th of 2011. And please tell me he sued. He did sue. Um, So it goes on. They they get him out. He puts clothing on. They Mm -hmm. take him to a hotel. He goes in a hot tub and drinks beer with his lawyers. Like he, he just he doesn't he doesn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. One of the attorneys, uh, his wife, John's wife Kelly, said, "Let me find Eric. Let's tell him what's yeah. going on." So they they find Eric. Mm-hmm. He he ends up going home. He's living with his parents, and Eric comes over to meet him. And now he knows that Eric's got this whole, like... Another life. He's just been mind-fucked. Yeah. You know? So, 
they start building a relationship back and they notice he notices when he meets them that um they're wearing the same shoes they're wearing the same pants he looks exactly like christine but they have the same mannerisms and yeah so gonna make me cry i know it it got me a little bit so it came out that christine's mother had called investigators a couple days after the murder and told them that eric had told her that he saw the monster hit mommy yeah and he saw the sorry he saw the monster put baskets in a suitcase on mommy What? and she told them Stop making this a fucking domestic and go find who killed my daughter. And they just basically told her to fuck off. Basically, they they completely fucking ignored her. Oh my god, dude, are you kidding me? Yeah. So he described the scene and the murder in detail and said multiple times that daddy was not home. And you know, it, it makes you like... No wonder why some people have no faith. Yep, in the justice system. In the justice system. Mm-hmm. How fucked is that? Mm-hmm. So what now... A, what a fucking travesty. Even if you don't want to... Okay, he's three. You don't want to believe a three-year-old. He still should have been given a forensic interview. He was in the fucking house. Yeah. Regardless so of what still, he said ever, he should have been it, interviewed. It does. It, yes. He was in the house. Yep. He still should have been interviewed yep. properly. Yep. And he wasn't. So now say you don't want to take the word of a three-year-old. Okay. Um, neighbors told police that they had uh, seen a man repeatedly uh, being parked on their street in a green van behind the Morton's house and would walk off into the wooded area. Sorry, my contacts are dry. Um, They were also contacted by San Antonio, Texas police, saying that a few days after the murder, Christine's credit card had been used in a jewelry store. Dude. San Antonio. That's huge. San Antonio. That's fucking huge. (laughs) They offered to drive the credit card and all of the paperwork connecting the credit card and the description of the fucking woman using the credit card. They would drive it to them. These are... And Sheriff Boutwell was like, nah. These are good. some of the most incompetent fucking people mm-hmm. I've ever fucking heard. Yep. So they were like, no, no, we're, we're good. Never told the defense team about it. What a fucking travesty. They didn't find out until, literally until after he was exonerated. DNA exonerated him and then all of this shit started coming out afterwards. This is stuff that he didn't know till he was out of fucking jail. That's insane. So then they found out that Sergeant Don Woods was actually the lead investigator and he was not called because his notes purposely concealed exculpatory evidence. Unreal. Now, this was brought up at his original trial. And the defense raised concern with the trial judge who ordered the prosecution to turn it over, but they couldn't find it. Of course. Hmm. Hmm. Of course. All the evidence concerning Eric's eyewitness account, the green van, and Christine's credit card being used were absent from the records given to the judge. Yeah. The prosecution had no witnesses or physical evidence, and he was still convicted. I don't even know what to say. It's... I don't even, like... You can't even put it into words. No. You know? You, You just can't. So after Michael's release, he moved in with his parents in Liberty City, Texas, and was later renting a house in nearby Kilgore, where he first moved. 
In March of 2013, he married a woman named Cynthia May Chessman, who he had uh, met at church that he attended after he was exonerated. Um, So during the course of the post-conviction DNA litigation, Morton's attorneys filed the Public Information Act request and finally obtained all the other documents that they needed. Mm Mm-hmm. They also filed a, um, oh shit, what did they call it? Uh, what else is there? Uh, I mean, freedom of information. Yeah, but they wanted, um, they so they filed a brief on uh, Michael's behalf with the Texas Supreme Court ordering an unprecedented so a, court of inquiry. A no, it's a set, it's a special um, motion filed against. Can you turn your flashlight sorry. off because you keep shining it? It's a special, um, it's a special investigation and motion filed against like prosecutorial attorneys and stuff okay. like that. So, uh, I just totally lost my place. So they, it's a court of inquiry was what they call it to determine whether or not Ken Anderson had committed misconduct. Uh, the court ruled that there was probable cause to believe Mr. Anderson had violated criminal laws by concealing evidence and charged him with criminal contempt and tampering Good. with evidence for concealing yes. the exculpatory information from the trial, trial judge and Morton's defense team. The State Bar of Texas also brought ethics charges against Mr. Anderson. Good. In early November of 2013, he entered a plea to criminal contempt and agreed to serve a 10-day jail sentence and also had to resign as a district court judge. He also had to permanently surrender his law license. Good. He did, and now Michael did sue, and he got a butt-ton of money. Yeah. Like a butt-ton of money. I like a butt-ton. Him and Eric are slowly rebuilding. Good. Their relationship and good. He's happily married and still lives in Texas. Well, I'm glad that was a happy ending, but it fucking T- took so long. Twenty four years. That's a lifetime. Yeah. That is a yeah. fucking lifetime. The day after his fifty seventh birthday, on the twenty fifth anniversary of Christine's murder, the guy Norwood mm-hmm. was arrested. What a good story. How, I mean. What a good story. How fucking terrible is that, though? Mm-hmm. Like. Did I pick uh, a good one or you did. what, though? You did. You did. And when I started reading it, I'm like, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Unfucking real. Like. The most <sighs> incompetent fucking police I've. Well, here's the thing. Shame on you. I don't think it was. Shame on you. I don't think it was incompetence at all. I think they knew exactly what they were fucking doing. Yeah, they wanted to. So, they wanted to close the yep. fucking case. It was a brutal fucking murder. You always look at the spouse mm-hmm. first, so no one's gonna fucking right. you know think any different. It was a brutal, hands-on fucking murder mm-hmm. in a town that didn't see a lot of crime yet. Yeah, and they, the good old boys, had to solve it. Yep. Well, and, so so much for a short one because this yeah, was sorry. an hour. Sorry, <laughs> no, that don't is be my mini. Sorry. Yeah, so the, this is how our minis are going to yeah. go. They're still an hour long. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, fuck that. Eight years to get results from a swap. Yeah, that's dude. That's that's come insane. On. Come on. Wow. Yeah, and I guess during the deposition, like the, Kenny Anderson. So Michael went to all the depositions yeah. of. The, the people that were being charged yeah. with misconduct. 
And at one point during uh, Good for him. Ken Anderson's deposition, he got fucking pissed off mm-hmm. and went to the back of the room and was like leaning against the wall. And, you know, and they ended up taking him out of the room because they said Ken, An- Ken Anderson was afraid of him. <laughs> probably what's going to happen. <laughs> That's what you fucking get, you son of a bitch. Yeah. It's so. probably going to happen in my deposition. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. So that is the unfortunate but happy ending story of Michael Morton. Wow. That was good. That was good. Mm-hmm. Well, I I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I I tried to pick a short one, but sorry, turn into a long one. But I don't, I, I don't know how to stop. I I read it and I know I apologize that we did this before some requests, but like it was just when I read the heading, it yeah. was too good. To, it's my fault. It should have been a mini, but I couldn't. There was I just couldn't not put stuff in there. Yeah, it so. was too good to pass up. Sorry. So. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, the next one's going to be Adam Walsh. The next episode will be Adam Walsh. And if you guys know true crime, you know where the connection is already. I don't, so it'll I be... told you. No, no, no. I told you the, oh, yeah. the, the Henry Lee Lucas Otis Tool. Yeah, yeah. So, so Otis Tool confessed to it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that will be our next episode, Adam Walsh. Um, another reminder, if you are in the Chicagoland area, Saturday, we will be at C2E2. It's a cosplay fan expo. Um, it is huge at McCormick Place downtown. So if you are in the area or close to it, take a trip. It's a fun time. The last fan expo we went to. Oh, it was a great time. It's a fucking great time. But we will be there. Dress like a princess, get drunk. Yeah. But we will be there putting on a panel. Um, it's just going to be us yep. d- during the panel talking about how to put together a true crime episode. Hopefully we don't sound like fucking idiots. Yeah, hopefully. So we got to we gotta kind of talk like about <laughs> we're going to put it together. I don't... Uh, but, we're just going to... I don't know what to do with I, I don't want to wing it. I have a feeling we're going to wing it. But I have I don't a feeling want... we're going to wing it anyways. Yeah. We can't sound scripted. We don't sound scripted no, now. No, 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 I don't think, I don't want to sound scripted, but I want to have an idea of what, what we're going to say. I know I can't cut you off and I can't interrupt you. Yeah. So. Yada, yada. <laughs> Whatever. But anyways, thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed this one. Patreons, thank you again. Uh, we love you. We love everyone. We do. We love everyone. Oh, my God. Except when he fucking does that. I'm drunk. Then I want to punch him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, guys. We will be talking to you very soon. Bye. Bye.